Well, okay, we're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which comes to you free every single Tuesday. You can watch and stream us at YouTube. Just search up for Geek in the City. Facebook Live, of course, Geek in the City. But our preferred place is check us out over on twitch.tv forward slash geek in the city you can watch us live you can engage in the chat we try to respond as often as possible when people are live with us in the chat because that just makes it a lot of fun if you're not able to catch us live every tuesday at 6 30 p.m pacific time well the podcast goes up also free on wednesdays sometimes thursdays because you know life happens at times as always, this show will always be free to you, the listener. All we ask is that you please share and give us five-star reviews on any of your podcast aggregate of choice or our Twitch channel, whatever is required. And, of course, please show our sponsors some love. Uh, they're the ones that keep us going. They have believed in us in a long time, just like you have. So, with all of that out of the way, here we go. We're going to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 723 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bean Rita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. How's it going, everyone? I thought I'd hit my computer on mute. I did not. <laughs> it is now. So. It is now. What? No, don't unmute. Step away from the keyboard. I mean, I'm going to need it eventually. Hello, everyone. Hi. How's it going? It's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is my Monday now. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, anyway, I was saying before the show, like, I have to run and get gas right afterwards because someone siphoned my tank. It's just the, the joys of living in the central east side. You know... I get that that's frustrating and it should be frustrating on a personal level. It should be one of those things that just makes you mad and it's yep. okay to be mad about that. Um, it doesn't mean that you're, you've stopped caring about people. It doesn't mean that you <laughs> are lumping everyone onto a, well, then they're all degenerates and thieves and blah, 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 blah. It just means you're mad at the one person that did a shitty thing. Yeah. And I guess I don't default to like, they're all digest. It just makes me like angry at everything. Right. Just everything. Sure. You know, I've got friends facing evictions because they can't afford back rent. And it's just, it's just a bunch of little shit. And it's one of those things where like, I got to the car and I'm like, I'm going to, oh, the gas cap's open. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've been without a car since not, not me me, but we've been down a car. The royal we. The royal we. That's right. Uh, since mid December. Uh, yeah, that tracks. About a month after we got that replacement car, the car that replaced the car that didn't that we didn't have for like eight months. Wait, right? What? Why did I I missed the? Really? Yeah. I, I, you know what it was? Is I, I think it happened so fast. Um, so last May, the week we were moving into this house, mm-hmm. my car broke down mm-hmm. and we took it to the dealership and D- it Dolores, took, right? Dolores, little Dolores, the Fiat. Uh, and it took so long for them to be able to even like figure out what was wrong with it. And then they couldn't do anything about that because of labor shortages. Mm-hmm. So they bought the car back from me. And that whole process went from May 
through November or maybe October. All of that I remember. Right. And so in mid-November, we had, you know, we had cashed the check from Chrysler and we went to a place and bought a new car. And like almost exactly a month later, uh, the car got broken into right in front of my house. Um, I thought it, at first I thought it was a, a smash and grab, but apparently uh, that particular variety of Kia Soul is like the new Honda Civic. Uh, oh. People who boost cars or whatever the term is. Uh, I don't know why I tried to be cool about it just then. Um, people who, you know, steal cars for parts or whatever, or to chop them up. That's, that's the new jam is that particular type of Kia Soul. And, uh, so they stole the car. They tried to, for whatever reason, they didn't actually make off with it, but the, the entire steering column was all cracked open and dangling from, from its base, whatever. Uh, it was undrivable, uh, save to get it down the road to a dealership that could work on it and yet again labor shortages it's i think you could have built a car by week now. being dealt with oh uh yeah basically just like waiting for it to be your car's <laughs> turn in line uh and then insurance dealing with whatever uh, there's other like little hiccups that slowed things down but i think it's only just now being worked on yeah, Norm just confirmed Kias and Dodges are the most stolen cars now. Woohoo! Yeah, I don't know what it's about what that's about exactly. I'm not a car person. So. Right. Um, I would imagine it has something to do with the fact that there are so many Kias on the market because it is the car that people can afford. That makes <clears throat> sense. Yeah. Like I feel like every other car I see in this town is a Kia. There are a lot of them, it seems mm-hmm. like. And there's also that thing when you buy it, you that's when you begin to notice everybody having it. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a that's probably some other effect. But there yeah. there is that. It, yeah. It's also like I noticed how many white cars are on the road as soon as I bought a, a vehicle that's white. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think I bought the most ubiquitous color of Mazda that they make. Mm-hmm. Uh, like slate silver or whatever names they come up with. Yeah. 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 Hers um, is more of a midnight blue, I think. I would say one of the biggest perks about my van is that you cannot lose it. Yep. That's true. You, no. Yeah. Nope. Fucking, it's like driving a Joker mobile. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. It's just one of those things. Like it's, I like my day job like a lot actually. Um, but it requires me to interact with all elements of the public eight hours a day. Yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then it's gone? No. It's not, it's my, not phone. my phone. It's not my phone. It's not the Twitch. Um, it looks like my computer speakers are still muted. Hello? What'd you do? It just got louder. I... Now I think it's gone. It's gone. But you, I, you got really, now you got really big again. You got small, you got big. I don't know, man. I'm just, whatever. Who cares? 
<laughs> Moving on. Yeah, no, I, whatever. I forgot what I lost. I forgot what I had. It's done. Okay. You were talking about how you deal with uh, I, right. a large swath of the public. Yeah, I do. And it just takes its toll eventually. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> yeah. Dealing with the public in yeah. any any way, shape, or form does that. I, I don't know what it is. I don't either. Uh, we're going to have a guest on at round seven. That sounds great. Uh, Who Mika, do we have? Mika Martinez will be joining us, which I am super pumped for. It'd be great to have her on. Uh, talking about her new art project. And we've had her on before. It's been a few years, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was, well, it was when you posed for her, the sci-fi one. Did we have her on for that? Yes. I think we did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was back so. in the Fun Employment Studio. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be really cool. I'm excited to have her on and chat about stuff. Yeah, her new project is is really interesting. Yeah. And, and very well, we'll talk to her like very yeah. large too, but yeah. Yes. Um, um, in the meantime, <clears throat> I was on a, in my head, I always go in between time, <laughs> in the meantime, I'm in between time. And I'm sure that was some weird commercial that just stuck in my head forever. Uh, in the meantime, we're all going to go see Star Trek Beyond tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's going to be the last installment of, um, I don't even remember what they're calling it, but there's a gang of people who are a gang of people. There's a, there's a couple of people who put on those Star Trek viewings at Hollywood, right? Yes. Um, would be sure it would be useful if I could remember their name right now. And I think that this is the last one in the series. It's the last one in the Kelvin series. I don't know if it, they're stopping entirely. But... Okay. Uh, I thought that they were, I thought that the Kelvin uh, universe was last in their lineup. And so that would be the end of... Yeah, because they had, yeah, because yeah. they had all the, they had all the posters already mm-hmm. from previous screenings you could buy, uh-huh. and they kind of link up. Okay, um, I think it doesn't mean they could stop. Then they can then take like two parters and screen them. You know, I, I'd right. watch Best of Both Worlds in the th- in the big screen. Oh man, that would be a lot of fun. I did that once a few years ago. Matthew Clark and I when it, it was for the anniversary, like what is it, Fathom Events was doing mm-hmm. it. Uh, he and I both noted that while it's still a fantastic episode, there's an element missing when Riker says fire and it doesn't go to dun, 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 to be continued. It just rolls into the next. It, there, there's not even like last time on Next Generation. It just rolls right into it. And it's still cool, but you have that moment of like, oh, no, it's just going to keep going. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there is something to be said about um, serialized TV and weekly episodic yeah um, that's schedules where you have to wait yeah and on that one you had to wait three months yeah you did um because that was the the mid-season ender oh yeah no they didn't even do mid-seasons then that was the season ender oh, was, that- was that the season that- yeah oh, it was from three it? to four yeah mm. um to me still top five tv cliffhangers of all time and, you know, granted, probably my age and my connection to Star Trek, but that was just, you know, by, by then, like, they're going to they're gonna kill Picard. And not as like, a, not as like in the old, if you ever watch old, like next week on Star Trek, the original series, when they mm-hmm. would show the like coming up next week, it was always like, will Spock have to kill his friend? We're like, no, <laughs> no. Is this the end of Bones? No, no. But this one felt real like this one was like oh shit 
And oh, that was before, I, I think that was even before any of us knew that that was a possibility. It was. He was in negotiations. Yep. Yep. Mm. Um, they were considering killing Picard. Yep. And Racker would have taken over and Shelby would have been numbered the new number, number one. one. Um, that would have made for a very different show. It would have. Um I don't know. I I wouldn't mind like IEW doesn't really do what ifs, but I think that'd be a fun like what if they did not rescue Locutus mm-hmm. like, and you couldn't do a whole series. You'd have to like eventually end it or whatever. But like, what happens? You know, how does it play out if mm-hmm. they don't do it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe every now and then he could come back as the villain. I mean, may, I mean, in, in mind the way it plays out. Um, like the, the Starfleet loses. Yeah. So the way time. the way it plays out for me is that you know, Riker still has that speech. He still has that conversation with um Guinan mm-hmm. when he's like, "I just tried to kill him," and she's like, "No, you tried to kill who took him, mm-hmm. not him." She has a whole line of like, "He's my best friend, and I will let him go." So in that version, it's not so much that it's that, that, that Riker doesn't, doesn't listen. listen. Um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Could be fun. Well, let uh, me go ahead. Keep talking. Jose, I know you said IEW doesn't do what is, but someone does. Yeah. Someone does what ifs. Someone online, I, I should have saved it, but there is a, a Trek account that posts to Instagram or or maybe Facebook, I don't know. Um, and uh, they were talking about what if Tuvix happened on a different Star Trek? Uh, and like a different like, show. Yeah, on a different iteration. Like, what would that be like? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it would have been so good if I were a smarter woman, I would have saved that information. Um, I'm trying to think. So they had said that if, if it had happened on next gen, uh, it would be Picard making the decision and it would have been Data and Worf. All right, remind mm-hmm. me, Tubix is... Neelix, what was his role on the ship? Cook. Cook. Comic and... relief. <laughs> and uh, in my head, it, Bob... it would have been Data and Deanna. Mm. And actually, Mika's here. I want to have this conversation more, but we should we should bring our guest on. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Did you want to read for? Yes. Okay. So uh, Mika Martinez is a visual storyteller with a passion for sharing expressions of identity that are less visible in mainstream media with projects like Confidence Is, PDX Katrina's, and Sexuality Over 50. With more than 20 years of experience, she seeks to tell stories that empower people and provide alternative perspectives. Today, she's here to talk about her latest project, Soy Yo, a photographic essay that celebrates different styles and expressions that make up the Latinx identity. And she is logging in now. Hello, Mika, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. 
Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So um, I feel like we should just kind of dive right into it. Like, can you tell us about your project? What, like, what was your inspiration behind it? What can folks expect and all that amazing stuff? Uh, so my most recent project that I've been working on is called Soyo. And Soyo is a photographic celebration of the diversity of Latinx culture and, you know, people, really. Um, I suppose some of what inspired it is that there are so many different names that we go by within the community from Latino, Chicana, Hispanic. And some of those names really resonate with us and some of them don't. And, you know, thinking about my own friend group and how diverse we are, um, I think about like where we all come from and we're different skin tones, hair, <laughs> eyes, backgrounds. And oftentimes, like, Hispanic Latino gets funneled into this one box. And for me, Soyo is about being able to break that box and show that there's so many different variations of what that means from, you know, our style to our backgrounds to what, you know, drives us as individuals to the cultures and values that, you know, shape who we are as people. Nice. Yeah, the, one of the things that really struck me was your intention of, um, of filming filming people in places that were considered more luxurious. Um, because like many of the Latinx folks are, there's nothing wrong with this, but like you'd mentioned on your statement, like they're in urban areas or were pictured in like really pretty farm fields or in kitchens. I mean, hell, I, I wanted my entire photo shoot to be in a kitchen initially because <laughs> I am comfortable there. Uh, I can kind of be myself there, but I appreciate the fact that you wanted to kind of change the locations to kind of change perspectives on that. Yeah, I really strongly believe that media shapes, you know, how we see ourselves, others, the world around us, ideas of possibility, and being able to see ourselves in spaces that we don't often see ourselves presented gives that idea of, you know what, I do belong there. And I was really excited to partner with the Heathmen on this project because they are a historic um, location in Portland itself. And one of the things with this project and having it there, it really, you know, nails in this fact that we are here, we are part of this community, um, and we're part of the history of Portland. Nice. Um, so how did you go about reaching out to folks for the project? Um, so first I started with my own circles, you know, my friends and the different organizations and communities that I've been able to connect and partner with over the years and really just kind of share this idea. And the more I talked about it with folks, the more they turned around and shared it with others. And so throughout the creation of the, the project itself, I would ask folks, you know, how did you hear about this? And there were so many different answers which told me that this was really a community um, outreach. So being able to work with all of these different folks who I don't know personally um, came through that community support like RAC, um, Latino Network, Juntos PDX. Yeah, that's really great. Um, how did you get involved with the Heathman? Like how did, did you approach them or how did that kind of pan out? Because I don't think I've ever seen a photo shoot done at the Heathman other than like, oh, we're getting our wedding photos there or whatever. 
um, well, I have another friend of mine who was doing, who was thinking about doing an event at the Heathman and wanted to tag me in for photos. And we had talked back and forth about like what my role would be. One person had the idea of it being um, like event photography. Another person had this idea of it being kind of like a photo booth um, since I specialize in portraits and neither one of those like felt like they were in true alignment with what I do. Um, so I was like, you know, let me come back to you with some ideas mm -hmm. and we'll go from there. The event never ended up happening, but what did happen was it created a connection with the Heathman and then this larger idea of like, how can we utilize this space um, to really highlight and celebrate people in, in a different way that we don't normally see here in the Heathman. Right. That's awesome. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, I didn't realize at first, I think the initial, the, we did a little interview after the, um, the previous project. And then, and then it was like, do you mind if I use yours for this one? I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't even, my brain didn't make the connection until I saw your early promo images for signing up. I'm like, what am I doing there? <laughs> when did I do this? And I was like, oh no, that's right. She did mention this was for something else. And if I was cool with it and I was like, yes, but then I completely forgot, you know, <laughs> that's true. You know? So like this idea came about and then all of a sudden people were like, do it. And I was like, okay, I got to figure out how am I going to show this? Where am I going to photograph this? So participants from my previous project, um, the history and evolution of La Catrina, I was like, Hey y'all, uh, can I just snap your photo at the end? <laughs> and use it as some test photos and go from there. And yeah. so I'm thankful that everyone was down. <laughs> no, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And just having, you know, now done shoots with you a couple of times, and I'm sure like Denise can attest to that. You're very good at putting people at ease, um, especially someone like me who, as a rule, even though I've been doing this forever, actively loathes being part of the camera. This doesn't count for you as being in front of the camera. camera so. so I guess I, I understand. understand. Right, right. So, um, well, that's actually that. I mean, that's really common. There's a lot of folks who like having a professional photo done can be very intimidating. Um, and really, what I try to remind folks is we're there to have fun. And it's not much different than, you know, these sort of moments where we're hanging out and we are seeing each other. The only thing is, is I'm very conscious of what that image is saying about you, this moment, um, and, you know, what it is that you want it to be saying specifically. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know for me, like I was, you know, I was just, I was just very nervous about the whole thing. And um, I want to like, thank you again. Cause you would call me out when I was clearly going into like show mode. <laughs> like when I was putting up my little, like, this is safe. I'll do it this way. They'll, they'll see geek in the city, me. And you were like, that's not who I want. And I was like, I don't want to do the other one though. It's so vulnerable. It's scary. <laughs> the real me has hips and I like to hide those like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds a little shallow, but that was literally part of my thought process is like, just from the waist up. But you look so like no. sharp in your suit from head to toe. That I know. And I'm not like, oh my like gosh, saying, everyone. I'm not saying this to be like, like, tell me how awesome I look. That's not, it's just me like trying to express how 
as a rule, uncomfortable I am in those and how you made me not feel that way. It was pretty cool. Oh, I'm so thankful that you had that experience. I think that what you're describing is a version of something that everyone goes through. Uh, when you had the artist talk uh, for the Portland Katrina's debut, everyone on that panel had some version of like, I just didn't feel comfortable or uh, it was just a weird space for me. Uh, I'm not used to being in the spotlight. Um, I'm, a, I'm guessing that that's, that's an experience that you deal with almost all the time. Yeah. Especially because your focus is on individuals who aren't used to being in the spotlight, who aren't used to highlighting these things about them. And that's what you're doing. Absolutely. I think that because of that, it shifts my approach in the way that like the whole process is from start to finish um, with, I really want to make sure that those that I'm working with have a say in every aspect of this. So I know what their comfort level is and how I can support them in that. And so if you've never had a session before and you're trying to prepare for that with me, I'm going to send you links to what to wear, how to pose, like just things to support you if that's what you feel that you need. But if you're like, I've got this, I'm going to come in and slay it. Then I'm like, sweet, let's just, just give me my, your playlist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Um, hey, you did that to me, the hey, playlist. playlist. Now I don't remember what it was. I like to call it the soundtrack of your experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so when is, when is this project? Cause you've, you've shot it all right. Like as you go. Or... Yeah. So you is wrapped completely. I'm actually ordering the prints um, today. So I've got that all finalized. I'm super excited. And it'll be shared at Portland center stage, the armory uh, March 7th through it just extended through in April. Congratulations. Um, that is amazing. Yeah. So we've got a lot of interest in our community to, to see and support this project. Um, the opening reception is going to be first Thursday of March 7th from 5 to 7 p.m. Cool. And that'll be at uh, the Armory? Yes. That's just a few blocks from where I work. So I am totally going to swing by. Hey. Pretty cool. Is it a ticketed event? No, it's free and open to the public. It is all ages. So I really encourage, you know, uh, folks to bring their friends and family um, and really share this with with young folks as well, because they are as much as part of this project as um, other folks, other people who really turned out for this. Uh, what's what is the age range on the uh, on the people on your subjects that you've worked with for this project? Um, so I think that my youngest was two. And wow. then Man. my oldest is in their 70s. Wow. Um, are there any uh, stories that stand out to you so far? Oh, my goodness. So going through each of the, the images and the sets. So with this particular project, I invited all of the participants to share a message or, you know, a quote, something that was close to their heart. And really going through and reading what they had to say about being seen, what visibility means about, you know, their presence here in Portland. 
was resoundingly clear in so many of those. And so like, I'm excited to highlight that through this project. Can you kind of mention what some of those stories, like some of those similarities were, or it's like, no, come to the opening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's stuff around my family. I was born here. I grew up here. I'm part of this city. And I don't always see myself reflected. One of the participants is actually a producer of a um, reality show here in Portland based in North Portland called True North. Um, and this producer, his name is Roman. He talked about how influential um, reality TV was for him in regard to how it shaped how we see relationships and growth and people and how he didn't see himself reflected in media. And so he was like, I'm going to create a show that, you know, connects with mi gente. And from there, True, no True North was created. And I think that that's the kind of stories that like really resonated with me through this project is just showing up every day and I'm here to support. I'm here to, you know, exclaim this is who I am and I've been here and I'm going to be here. <laughs> right. Nice. Um, oh my God, my brain just went prank because I'm, I'm fighting with audio issues in the background too. So I'm getting very distracted. Sorry about that. I think I fixed it. Oh, that sounds good. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh cool. sorry um, now we can proceed nice um oh my gosh so were there was there any like a shoot that like surprised you i know that's kind of a general question but like something you weren't ready for when you were because you're very interactive when you do a photo shoot with someone you're always having at least that was my experience you you were constantly engaging and like, it wasn't a very one way thing. It wasn't like pose this way. No, move your hand like this. It was a constant conversation. Um, was there anything that kind of caught you off guard or surprised you? Um, the very first day. So this, the sets, the project was photographed over the course of five days in five different locations of the Heathman. Um, and on the very first day we were in the penthouse and this Ooh. incredible uh, baker and cake designer came in and she had this giant wedding cake that was it was like a fake cake but it was she designed it made it and the flowers on this cake were all made of candy they were sugar flowers oh, and they looked ooh. so incredibly real and so when she had, she told me like, I'm going to bring this cake and I have the stand. I was like, I don't really know what to expect. I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to work with this. It doesn't necessarily connect with what I had initially envisioned, but that's the yeah. other thing about what I do is when you open it up to collaboration, you have to be willing to be flexible, you know, and how people want that to go for themselves. So when she brought in this huge, beautiful piece of artwork, I was like, whoa, how can we best highlight that? And so it was fun to think about where do I place my lights to make sure that her work is best highlighted in addition to celebrating her and, you know, really showcasing her pride because she showed up in her, her chef uniform and, you know, she was just so <laughs> proud. And I was like, yes. Um, and it's not that I was surprised about the pride. I was surprised at like all of the different components and how thoughtful she was 
um, and to be able to work with her on it. Right. No, I mean, that, and that makes sense. I, I remember when I sat down with you with mine, like I just, cause you're like, just wear what you would wear. I think you said something like if you were doing like a casual, like pitch meeting or conversation or whatever, I was like, Oh, okay. That means like cleaner jeans and like a kind of semi-dress shirt and like a casual blazer kind of thing with my nerd pins on it and nothing that like screams like you know a latinx person i guess which but that's also me feeding into thinking like well what are we supposed to look like then (laughs) right yeah like that's that's a stereotype you in and of itself (laughs) right just supposed to look like you gross (laughs) it 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 is hard like not being being outside of this conversation a little bit, but understanding that it is hard when people want to lump you into thinking race and culture is a monolith and it is not. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Um, and even within just different areas of a country, you know, we recognize that there's so many things that make those areas unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if we just take the States as an example, the South is highly different than where we are here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And that's true in, you know, Mexico and Brazil, Guatemala, wherever. Yeah, it's like, it's it's always kind of fun to remind people that its official name is the United States of Mexico. <laughs> Everything just gets glumped into, and I did this for so, I was like, yeah, it's Mexico. They're from Mexico. It's whatever. And you get older and you realize like, oh no, Mexico's almost like the size of the United States. Like it's big. That's just big. because of our weird map, it doesn't look as big, but it's big. It's pretty mm-hmm. damn big. Our fake map that our... deliberately centralizes <laughs> on European Europe, countries yes. and the, and the the northern yeah. hemisphere. Yeah. Yep. That makes Australia look like half the size of Africa. Yep. Yeah. These <laughs> invisible borders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, it doesn't even have to be individual states. Just. Uh, you could even just look at them as regions and mm-hmm. they're all different, oh, whether yeah. it's because of the geography or, you know, whatever history they, they dealt with in that area. Right. Makes them all yeah, different. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever colonial power influenced that region. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah that's, no. that's, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so uh, moving over to the technical side a little bit, one of our, listeners uh norm from texas uh he's also a photographer and uh one of the questions that he asks is which lens is your go-to once you've got your subjects comfortable and and ready to open up what what lenses do you reach for oh you nerds um i would say (laughs) i have a couple of go-to lenses i prefer prime lenses um just because i liked the the fixed focal length so i'd say the 35 is you know classic 50 is it's got a special place in my heart because that's what I started with but I think the 80 is really what I've been leaning into more frequently um, with my work I'm waiting to see how he responds to that uh yes also I wanted to add um and I don't know, Mika, if you have it handy uh, for Norm to see, but Mika wears the bitchinest leather harness Oh my God. Uh, like, like one might wear if they were a police chief, uh, captain I, 
with their nine millimeter, you know, that tucks in under but there. It's, but, but it's, it's cameras. And it's also, but it's not just that. Mm. It's also the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. And there are also evil robots and aliens <laughs> that we all live together. It has a her, it has a sci-fi vibe to me too, mixed with like noir. Okay. I, I was gonna go with the uh, the character uh, Drake from Uncharted. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, a, the kids will understand that. Yeah, okay. that's they true. play the video games. Yeah. I yeah, that. I actually do have my uh, my harness. It was funny. I was gonna wear it, and then I was like, oh no, they might think it's like a gun holster or something. Okay. So what if it is? Yeah. Ike. Uh, so yeah. So it's beautiful leather harness that I got from Desire Leather. They specialize in uh, camera harnesses and different leather goods. Awesome. And so I love that you have it personalized. Oh yeah. It's and like I'm able to carry it's like she's in Blade Runner. It's a little jingly though, so you can totally hear me coming. Uh, I feel like that's half the fun of it though. It has bits. <laughs> jingly bits. I mean, I don't jingly know. Jingly bits. Yeah, it always makes those kinds of things fun. And when I'm working, I got lots of stuff attached to me. So I think that's probably one of my favorite things is that right. like, everything's right there. A little, little bit of hint of O'Connell and the mummy, like his full <laughs> adventuring gear set up. Mm-hmm. Like one day I'm going to go to a shoot with Mika and I expect her just to unravel this giant like leather tube. Oh, the roll up. The roll yes. up, yeah. Like, um, ooh, maybe that's a new way for me to like carry my light gear. Yeah. There we go. Oh, there you Can go. you put your lenses in there? Mm-hmm. like you that makes more sense uh okay the other question hunting that... mexican uh mummies mayan <laughs> mummies <laughs> yep uh the other question that norm is asking and then this one's more of a hypothetical uh so let's say it's it's your, it's the day the night of your show and afterwards you go to dinner and you get to have that dinner with any photographer living or dead who is at your dinner party? Ooh, just one? Uh, well, no, the way it's phrased, uh, who's your party? Like you could have yeah. as many as you want. Party of five. Wow. Okay, so let's see. Nice. Um, Danielle Da Silva from Photographers Without Borders is definitely invited. She is constantly just dropping gems of knowledge um, whenever she's around. Natasha Johnson is also there she's an incredible creator in texas um who just does really phenomenal work and so again like being around her is just so inspiring um oh um oh my goodness why is her name escaping me um laura aguilar she is um, a Chicana creator who really, for me, like when I saw her work was just so moving because I remember people at the time were telling me like, why isn't your stuff more like, why do you have to focus on the political part of it or have a message? Can't it just be pretty? And I remember seeing her work and it just being like, no, this is raw and powerful. And there are other people doing this. So I'm like, oh, to only hear what she what she had to say. Um I think those are my top ones. Although I could probably add a, p- a couple more in there. I'm like, oh, I just like, I have to feel like they're just at the tip of my tongue right now. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, you can always you can always message us with the rest of them later. That's right. Okay, we'll we'll for your official answer. Yep. Uh, and uh, Norm says yes. He digs the harness. That's how he knows a photographer takes it seriously. <laughs> so you have got the Texan seal of approval. That's right. <laughs> so this might be a little preemptive because you haven't actually debuted Soyo, but I'm curious what your uh, future projects are, because I'm certain that you're already thinking about them. Oh my goodness, I absolutely am. So uh, with Soyo, there's a couple of different parts to this project for me. So this rolling it out in Portland with the photography portion is really just part one. In addition to the photos, I also did an interview with all of the participants, um, just really showcasing what the different backgrounds are, how beautiful our community is. So there is going to be a short video that's going to component that's going to go with this. So there's going to be a screening for that. Um, and then my big dream is expanding this project beyond just Portland to take it to right. other communities in Oregon, around the States, and, you know, just, again, show how beautiful and diverse we all are. Nice. And I feel, I think you mentioned in between these two projects, you also decided to edit a documentary. That's going to be like, because you were like, oh, I'm going to shoot some behind the scenes videos. It'll be fun and quirky. And all of a sudden you were like, I'm editing an entire movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to be a little ambitious that way. Um, so in addition to working with Soyo, I am still um, working on my History and Evolution of La Catrina project. And that is a documentary that I'm in the process of creating that connects not only the history of La Catrina, but really her significance and impact within their culture and um, how she shapes different communities and is and is really used as a touch point for identity. Um, so I had an opportunity to go to um, Mexico last year in October and document around Dia de los Muertos. And so I'm really just kind of expanding on that this year. Um, big goal would be to interview someone at the Museum of Mexican Art in Chicago about the artist who made her famous. So Anyone's got those connects, let me know. My Chicago connections are worldly limited. <laughs> we have a beautiful and huge community out there. So that's true. Yeah. I'm sure we're only a few degrees removed from somebody that could make that happen. Are you running your artist Robodex in your head? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that many people in Chicago. You know we could tap? No. Sean. I was just gonna say that. Mm. Sean uh, Wynn. Sean Wynn still got he still got his roots in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Stand by, Mika. We're gonna, All right. we're gonna workshop. Yeah, this. we're gonna we'll workshop. We'll get um, back to it. Maybe not live, but we'll get back to you on that. So <laughs> Mexico for Day of the Dead. Yeah. Tell us everything. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so jealous when I saw all your pictures. I was like, oh my god. I think I think it's every goth. Mexican Americans dream to to have at least one you know one day of the dead in Mexico it no I'm not gonna make that joke go ahead I think I was about to make the same one but it maybe has religious connotations maybe yeah no okay we were thinking of the exact same thing <laughs> and you're not wrong 
Cool, 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 yep. cool. All right. Well, we'll let everyone else fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. uh, Mika, tell us about. Uh, it wasn't a bad thing, but its connection is yeah. Tell us about your Dia de los Muertos in Mexico. Um. So I had gone down for a retreat, for a business retreat, and had an opportunity to extend my trip so I could be there during Muertos. And in this short amount of time, I was there for about a week on my own. I went to um, Oaxaca City and got to document just the festivities that were happening in the street and the celebration that way. And then I also went to Santa Maria in Huatulco and got to document um, people's homes and personal ofrendas and talk to them about their loved ones and their traditions mm. and the behind the scenes crew who was decorating the cemetery and really in charge of the festivities for the, for the town. Um, and that was a really humbling and honored moment for me to, to have that sort of access um, and for people to feel like they could, they could share that in this way. And so I feel like the experience and ideas that I had going into it really shifted every day with every communication um, and reminded me how many similarities there are. And also those subtle differences between how we celebrate here and, you know, how it's traditionally celebrated in different places. What were some of the smaller things that kind of stood out, the smaller little differences, if you can think of? Um, I think one of the biggest ones was um, El Calle de, Alm de Almas, the, the Road of Souls because like everywhere there are just these petals everywhere. And I'm used to seeing um, marigolds around ofrendas and, you know, decorating, but I had never seen that pathway in real life um, presented that way. Wow. Huh. Do they just like line the whole street as though the sidewalk were made of marigold petals? Yeah, it's different in different places, but some of those um, the, I'm, I guess some of the designs are made with flowers that are all on the ground and they're done with sand and petals. Um, so it's some incredible art. And then there's also just thousands and thousands of petals just on the, just lining the street leading to the cemetery. Um, it feels really magical. Wow. In my head, I can almost imagine the smell, like, cause I love how marigold smell so like an entire, just, just surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I get like kind of tingly. It would be really nice to experience that. I think my favorite moment was documenting the market in Oaxaca city. So I took the bus from Huatulco to Oaxaca. And so it was like seven, eight hours. Um, so it was an overnight bus. And so I got to be there for the sunrise and the opening of the market and see all of these vendors come in with flowers, like on carts and their cars are just piled over, over the, the head. And like, it was wild. And then to sit there and watch these little bits of flowers that fall on the road and how they just brighten this space and also how insignificant they are at the same time, because people moving and going and you know there's flowers and stuff all around us so it was just a, a really interesting moment to experience and beautiful at the same time sounds lovely mm -hmm. yeah 
someday pull off that trip. <laughs> it's possible. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it will definitely happen. Um, and then also it's kind of related, but one of your pieces got picked by the city to like be permanently on display. Yeah. So this is the third piece of mine that the city um, has acquired. And this piece is really special because it was the collaboration that we did for uh, the Katrina project. Mm. And one of the things that I did with the images that we made was um, I removed the background and then created a background, um, like a motif for each individual that reflected colors and shapes and designs that I kind of felt connected with that individual and their personality. And then created a multi-image collage that I then um, offered to the city because they were looking for art that was culturally specific. And I thought that this applied and they accepted it. <laughs> That's hmm. awesome. Do you know it, where it's, it's going? A, I wish I knew. They don't tell you? No. Mm. I swear it's to funny because I'm curious where my other pieces are too. Interesting. I swear to God, if Renee Gonzalez tries to claim it, don't okay. even. I won't. Don't even get me. It, it will be like that time where like Bill Murray was gonna like create a raid to get that one Wu Tang album back. Well, like Ocean's Eleven, that. Where would he put it though? He lives in Lake Oswego. That's true, and he doesn't actually like brown people. It's right. too colorful for him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Plus, it might touch him on the shoulder and <laughs> be assaulted. No, 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 no. Uh, We're all big fans. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you saw uh, Mika's face when you first oh, I mentioned saw it. it. Yeah, no. Uh, at mm -hmm. my day job, I often have to hide that face myself. <laughs> um, oh, that, oh, God. Um, anyways, can't, I can't go on on that part. Um, I had something like, I feel like you have all these, like, I don't think you ever slow down. Like when you're not doing a project, you're like, I'm teaching here now, or I'm running this. Um, it's true. If Mika ever did slow down. What would you like, what would you do to be like, I want to do something that's not going to be work related that I don't have to present it. I'm not trying. I just want to enjoy myself just for me. Does that exist or is that part of you just can't turn off? Which I get if you can't. <laughs> um, I think there is a small part of me that doesn't really turn off because it's constantly absorbing everything and thinking, how can this influence what I do in some way? Um, that being said, I also think that it's radical to pause and rest and not feel like you have to produce things that need to be consumed. So one of the things when I travel is my photo adventures. And sometimes I share those images. Sometimes they're printed. Um, but oftentimes they are for me and really just kind of being in the moment. Um, so anything art related is is just invigorating for me. And I love to dance. Uh, one of the things that I came away with from that retreat last year was this amazing playlist by Bonita Fierce Candles. Um, it's called Am I Hispanic or Not? And so <laughs> I put that on and just enjoy. That sounds fun. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other side of that coin. <laughs> 
because you're always working essentially like you're 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 finding the artistic value everywhere you go how did you get well, let me let me try to phrase this the right way <laughs> um because we've known you for you know a number of years now we've we've seen you evolve uh, as a photographer, but the one thing that seems constant throughout your different projects is the way it highlights something unique. It brings attention to something that most people shy away from, or even just don't necessarily consider. Uh, like the, the shoot that I did with you when I first met you, well, first of all, I had just met you and you, I believe you asked me if I modeled. <laughs> no one's ever asked me that. Not before, not since. Uh, although now I could say yes. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into uh, because I'd never been in a photo shoot. And here you are like, what's, what's your story going to be? And, you know, Pinterest boards and, and don't get me wrong. That was like a real, that was a really fun and unique experience uh, that uh, I'd never had before then. And I maybe never will again, um, but it was really unexpected. And uh, it seems like that's how you've always been, but somewhere little baby Mika with a, you know, disposable mm -hmm. camera or something, uh, an elf, uh, digital, you know, somewhere in the past, there was uh, a fledgling photographer who then became and developed into that's not a, that was not an on purpose pun uh, into the Mika that we see before us. Oh, I didn't us even now. catch it. <laughs> oh, I did. I was trying to figure out what an elf camera was. Uh, it's, it's, a, a it's an early two thousands digital camera. Mm, okay. it, was, it was teeny tiny. Okay. Yes. So that was a really long winded way of saying, like, how did you develop into the the type of storyteller that you are? Oh, this time it's funny. that one, that one, that one got me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it has been a wild journey, that's for sure. From where I started as the picture lady at school, you know, doing school pictures for kids and yearbooks um, picture lady. that was okay that was my start yeah, yeah I wasn't I didn't go to school for photography I didn't own equipment until 2019 like I didn't own my first camera until 2019 that's what keeps blowing me away when you've mentioned that before to me yeah it's yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah up until that point everything I worked with it was on borrowed and gifted gear so when I was able to purchase my own camera for me, that felt like a like a huge accomplishment, um, especially considering that I have been doing it since goodness, I was eighteen, you know, mm -hmm. so quite some time. Um, but I think probably about twelve years ago is when things really shifted for me as a storyteller, because I stopped thinking about photography as this transactional experiences and like you have to get wet or like, what would you need photography for? There's event photos, there's weddings, there's seniors, like there's a specific list. But then when I started thinking about the impact that visual images have on us as a society in the way we like see ourselves 
it really shifted how I see what it is that I do. Um, because I realized like I have a lot of power and influence and pausing off this for a hot second, I'll come back to it. I had a conversation with a programmer recently about AI and they reminded me of this power because they said, you know, artificial intelligence is learning um, and it doesn't know what isn't, isn't beautiful unless you tell it it is. So when you put in images of older women, larger bodied folks, darker skinned people, make sure that in your keywords and your metadata, you're putting in things like beautiful and putting in those words that will tie in. So when AI learns, it tags that in. Otherwise, it's continuing to learn from images that continue, that perpetuate ideas of like, that are harmful, you know? Um, so that really, again, got me thinking about the power that we have and what role do I have within that? Wow, that's really important. I never thought about like the AI. I mean, not that I, I'm not the biggest AI fan, but like, I never thought about the fact that like, if we don't tell it that something is, is beautiful, it's just going to keep the Eurocentric um, representation of what beauty standards are. Mm -hmm. That's largely the, um, I mean, there's so many other issues, but yeah. It's the meta yeah. conversation about that. Like the AI itself is not inherently good or evil. It's not inherently racist. But it's but built the, by the program language that it's mm -hmm. given mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. If if it is written by people who only think one way, right? right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to become a photographer? Play, have fun. Think about your why and like, there's nothing wrong with being serious and having a focus, but at the same time, like get to know your craft, find what makes you, what brings you joy, what sparks your excitement. For me, what sparks my excitement is really celebrating things and challenging what we normally see within media. And so if I want to see my friends and family and those that I love in my community, authentically represented, then that's what I want to photograph more instead of, you know, photographing some event, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so don't think that you're obligated to one type of photography or one lane. Try them all. Play around. Have fun until you find the thing that brings joy to you. That's really And also important. don't get stuck up on equipment. Like, seriously. <laughs> I was about to ask, like, because I... I mean, like as a writer, I get this sometimes, but I feel like no one ever asked, like, what should I have as a writer? I'm like, well, I don't know, paper. <laughs> um, but I know people that are like, no, I need this specific program before I do this and this and this. So I was going to say, do you get people that be like, well, what kind of camera should I get? What kind of lens should I get? I mean, What's it sounds like you're saying it, it doesn't really matter. One of the things that I tell my students is that a camera is just a tool. It doesn't matter what kind you have, but the more you know your tool, the better you'll be able to use it. So if it's a point and shoot, if you're just working with your camera on your phone, great. You can and will take amazing photos, but you have to play with it. You have to try all the different settings. You got to like 
do different things, like push yourself so you can know like, oh, it does really well in low light or, oh, like it gets too exposed on this. And then you know when you can and can't use it. And I, and I don't know if this is right, but I almost feel like when, especially when you're first starting out, like getting a camera that can't do much actually might be better because it makes you learn light balancing and color theory and shadow work and, and, and stuff like that. It's like when a filmmaker just makes one hell of a movie for a hundred grand and then they're given 20 million and you almost gave them too much to play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there was a period of time where I used to forget or purposely leave a piece of equipment just so I would challenge myself <laughs> for different sessions. So I like what happens in that moment, you know, how do you troubleshoot through this? That's actually a pretty cool. good trick. Uh, or I don't know if trick is the right word, but uh, just a, a good way to challenge yourself. I think the yeah. kids these days call that a hack. Yes, that's right. <laughs> as the kids say, mm-hmm. as the kids say. That's right. I'm up on what all the kids say. Yeah. Yeah, I could tell. I mean, you're the one that works with them the most. This is true. <laughs> um, I had a thought. Nope. So uh, my father um, is a professional photographer. So I grew up in a photo studio to a degree. Um, so the, the posing, talking about people not knowing how to pose and like all of this rings so very true. And I, I do agree with you about it doesn't matter the equipment. It, it matters your the intensity of your drive to figure out how to use it. So I'm, I'm glad that you were teaching the, it's a tool. It is not the solution. It is not the thing that makes you a photographer. You, how you see the world and then get to recreate what you're seeing when you see things through that lens in a static image for other people to go, oh, that's what you see. That's being a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the knack for it and I n- never gave myself the patience or time to go I really want to learn how to do this I learned enough of it and I'm like yeah this is cool I'm gonna go back to drawing um, <laughs> so I've been, I, I've been trying my hand at filmmaking and so those storyboards mm-hmm, I look mm-hmm. at my drawings and I'm like oh that's not my strong <laughs> point so we all have our strengths right yeah. Um, but I, it certainly did give me the, the understanding and the recognition of being able to say it's not the tools that make a photographer. So, uh, you're doing fantastic work <laughs> It yes, is my sure. long winded way of saying <laughs> that little tiny sentence there. Well, Mika, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at m.martinezphoto. Um, you can also find me on Facebook under that same handle and, and on my website at mmartinezphoto.com. I'm hosting an event with PICA, the Portland Institute of Contemporary Art in March about, um, it's a community conversation about the power that visual storytellers have. So very similar to what we've talked about today and the ethics around what we do as creators in our process. And so I'm really excited to bring together 
um, several Portland creatives to talk about their process and invite others into this conversation and share resources. Um, so you can connect with me through that event as well at through PICA's Policing Justice um, Programming as well. Nice. Definitely. I definitely recommend checking that out also. Mm -hmm. And then it's the first Thursday in March. And is, the first Thursday the, in March. Okay. To come see the opening of Soyo. Um, if you armory. follow me online, yep, mm -hmm. at the armory. Um, you'll uh, there will be more events connected to this particular project. Like I said, the the screening of this film. So if you follow me online, you'll stay up to date or you could subscribe to my newsletter um, through my website. That's great, man. Mika, thank you for uh, for joining us. It's always oh, fun it's to talk to you. such a pleasure. <laughs> Y'all were cool. fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank and you. thank you. We'll see you on, I'll see you at least on first Thursday and folks should definitely, definitely get out to it. They're picking up again too, just in general, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of great events going on. So I'm mm -hmm. excited to be part of that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thank you All right, so friends, much. Thanks so much. Yeah, Bye. we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Cheers. Cool. That was fun. Yeah, I forgot your dad was a photographer. Yeah. I'm not sure I knew that at all. I'm telling you, man, your family contains multitudes. So is my partner. Well, that one I knew. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we, yeah, we, we knew know that, that one. one. Yes, that one we know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I didn't realize your dad. Yeah, I think it's because every story you tell me about your dad is this more kind of like. Like happy-go-lucky. In my head, he's just the dude who like kicked Lee Marvin in the butt. That was <laughs> that was a a summer of his life. I I know, but but in my head, because then you'll talk about like, yeah, I hung out with my dad over the long weekend. We did so. My pictures of your dad is like just a. I don't know. In my head, this will sound so bad. He's an older, kind of more jovial version of you. That's how I see him. I'm like, hey, well, it'll be better. It'll be fine. Have fun. Which I could be completely wrong. That's my what my head has created. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, he might be a little more happy-go-lucky. And I think because I've also met him once in an event. Right. And he was, and probably because he was happy because it was an event you were doing. Yeah. So I was like, look at this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a photographer. He's a woodworker. Um yeah, that's cool. He's a cranky old man. Uh, I mean, we all get there one day. <laughs> well, uh, based on his uh, his father, that like we start out that way. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't get we don't get better from there. <laughs> so there, so we have more to look forward to, is what you're saying. Well, not for me. I'm I'm the last. Oh no! I'm talking about like you said. We don't get better from there. No, i.e., like the, the cranky old manness yes. just continues to. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what we all need to do one day. Like for exactly. like our next getaway, mm -hmm. we just rent somewhere, maybe like at the coast, or maybe like in the Cascades, a cabin, mm -hmm. and we just got our favorite bottle of whatever, and we find a porch, and just old man it, and just old man it. Maybe we like we'll whittle. Or just like a deck of cards and then just complain. Statler and Waldorf style. Hmm. Am I the only one that sounds appealing to? That's fine. 
No, I could. I, I could, could do that for like for an hours. afternoon. Well, yeah, I, mean, I didn't mean the whole weekend, but yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. Okay, the afternoon. Okay. This is grumpy old man afternoon. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. That was it on that one. Okay. All right. Did you want to talk about your Trek idea really quick and then we'll wrap it up? My Trek idea. About uh, oh. the top of the oh, uh, uh, Data Tubics. My, that has been sitting in the back of my brain. This whole time? This yeah. whole time. Okay, then I guess we'd better finish it. Okay, We so, don't have to. I'm just, yeah, right, we so do. Neelix, we Neelix was it. the cook. Uh-huh. Uh, and Tuvok was security officer. What was his deal? Chief Chief of Security. Yeah. Chief of Security. Okay, so he was those, the war. So yeah. so take those two characters in any other iteration of Star Trek. Next gen, it would be Worf, and then they didn't have a cook in uh, in Next Gen because replicators um, that work. I mean, so yeah. Who would you uh, who who would you put in place of? of that you know in lieu of a cook well i'm trying to think who annoyed Worf because i feel like that was part of the joke is that neelix annoyed the hell out of mr mr tubic mr gotcha. vulcan okay mm-hmm. i hate it when um, you said mr vulcan mr. Mm-hmm. yeah um well that could be anybody because Worf was not a fun guy but uh i think you said deanna earlier i've never said no deanna. i said it, Data and Deanna. Oh, Data. Because I was thinking Deanna. like the one without emotions and the one that's the, the only yeah, empath. Okay. No. I, and nautically oh. speaking, uh, the closest thing to a ship's cook is then the ship's doctor. Right? Uh, well, that's on that's on real ships. I said nautically speaking. Oh, nautically. I'm, you're right. I apologize. I, I might I have prefaced this. Uh, uh, so, yes, that would be. So, there, um, so that would be Worf and Crusher. Yeah, although I think in a weird way, a Worf and Pulaski would actually make for a more interesting because mm-hmm. I love Crusher, but she's very um, Crusher's very like methodical in her approach to like everything, mm-hmm. and I don't mean it as a dig. Whereas Polanski was clearly them trying to recreate Bones, who kind of leads with their heart first, kind of thing. Their gut, but yeah. Their gut, yeah, yeah. They go with their gut first. Um, like, I feel like Dr. Crusher would maybe break the rules if she felt like it was totally justified to save a patient. Pulaski wouldn't even think twice. She's like, I'm going to fucking do it. Because that's a very bones thing. I'm just going to do it. And I'll apologize later. Hmm. Uh, unsurprisingly, this question is already all over the internet. If you type in what if Tubix had happened uh, on a different uh, Star Trek, uh, there's tons of options, tons of uh, hits. Like this person who said, also, it's not killing Tubix, it's splitting Tubix. Um, uh, So this guy says, Kirk, split confidently, like Janeway, like no, no hesitation, split them up. Picard, uh, leave him be. Cisco, split confidently. Mm-hmm. Archer split after some moral questioning, and it would still be a hard choice. Um, I can see that. What about Pike? I think Pike would split. Boy, would it tear him up! Yeah, it, yeah, like, it would. Like the dude already has enough guilt. Like yep. he commands from a place of guilt. Yep. It would just be one more thing to pile on him. Um. 
Uh, what does Michael do? Michael would split confidently. Mm-hmm. You think so? Mm-hmm. She, yes, she okay. would. She shoved Stamets out of an airlock against his protestations. She she will do the right. thing that needs to be done. But she knew he wasn't going to die from that. She, Although I don't, I never had a problem did, with that part. I she actually, did that specifically so he wouldn't die. Right. He want he did not want to. That that was the solution right. that he did not want. Because if they capture him, they can jump. Yes. Right. That she was, knew that he had to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that scene came out. People were so pissed, and I was like, "That was the one hundred percent the appropriate command response." Yes, it was. But there is an emotional reaction to it. That's why. People still argue about Tuvix to this day, even though Tuvix was a plant. Mm-hmm. There is no fucking discussion. <laughs> and and you already you've already sort of skirted around it when when you are the captain, you have to make the hard decisions. Right. Yeah. Um you know, another extreme of that would be I don't know why I'm doing day. this when I can just look at I, I do the same thing. I've been looking at Eye both contact. of you as I talk. It's Eye yeah. CEOs, you know, the like, oh, whatever percentage of CEOs are like psychopath or they have the genetics. The sociopaths. Socio- thank you, sociopaths. Uh, because they have to make hard but necessary decisions that the average person with a normal moral compass would waffle at. Mm, I uh, think there's a difference mean, between a CEO and a captain. There is a huge difference between a Federation starship captain <laughs> and an American CEO. I am not yeah. saying that they're exactly the same, oh, okay. but in leadership roles, uh, which we don't have many of in our capitalist sure. society, right? outside of things like CEOs, right. um, a, a military officer or you know, commander higher ranking NCO, mm-hmm. you know, but those are less relatable um, to the common public. The whole, the point is you, they, they do, they have to make hard choices. Um, I've lost my train of thought. No, it's fine. Uh, I'm there. There is a difference between making the harder choice for the greater good and greater a hard good. and a hard choice for your shareholders cut. CEOs don't make life and death situations. They don't make hard choices. Yeah, they create. They them. make choices that have to do with who's making more money and who isn't. Go ahead and disregard the CEO. Okay. Thing, then, like, uh, it's no, just, but it's I, just I, my, I it's just saying. my first go-to. Sure. Uh, you know, in terms of they're at the top and they make hard choices. It's What's, just that their hard choices are for a different purpose. It's that thing it's where shitty. it's yeah. that thing where at least as as they are portrayed in Star Trek. Sure. Um, captains have to make these horrible choices at times that they need to emotionally detach themselves from. But most of them can't. Like they could make the choice, but then they they have to live with it, and that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might. You can laugh. Did I get it all wrong? No, no. It's just that you said uh, they have to live with it. Uh, and that's how we know that Cisco would have oh, split them. I can live with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. God, I love that part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're right, because I'm thinking about the episode where Deanna wants to uh, work like the night shift in command. Because she's like, she, Crusher's like, she's like, what are you doing? And Crusher's like, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. I took the command course. And 
it's just me on the bridge by myself at night and it's kind of cool and it's that thing where it's the final kind of test and like deanna goes over every single version to make the ship not blow up and in the end it's like she realizes oh i have to send jordy my dearest friend to die mm-hmm. and that's the part where like riker's like very good now you know what it's like it's the whole per- that's, the, that's point. the whole point of the kobayashi maru yeah, yeah. i mean basically it's a, that's a version of it that she gets yeah mm-hmm. yeah but she um, succeeds oh yeah no she does and she gets that pip yeah because when data comes back he's like thank you lieutenant she goes ah commander he goes oh indeed commander (laughs) (laughs) i just i kind of like that little it's that's the only good that 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 episode's weird yeah because like weirdly she's the b plot and it's far more interesting than when he's on that primitive planet oh yeah that's the radiation poisoning that's just i was like i'd rather just watch deanna try to become a commander Mm. like that was a much more entertaining story because Um, it was actual character development for a character that had been underdeveloped for five years Mm -hmm. but i am I am now. I kind of, I'm, I kind of want to watch these episodes that aren't going to happen. Almost more so, I want to watch the next gen one because you're right, Kirk. It wouldn't even be a debate. Probably I mean, not. Probably. Well, and also it depends who it is. If it's Spock and McCoy that have merged, and they're both telling them like, "Hey, both of our consciences are in here. We're one thing now." Um, because you have the argument that Kirk would make an almost selfish choice. He can't exist without those two being separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without those two speaking to him, you're getting Admiral Kane and Battlestar. Hmm. That's my favorite little when Ronald D. Moore. It's on the commentary. Someone asked him, like, how'd you come up with Admiral Kane? He's like, Oh, it's easy. Admiral Kane is what happens when you take Bones and Spock away from Kirk. He becomes Admiral Kane. Uh, I, I remember in the commentary, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you're right. Yeah, Cisco wouldn't even. I don't even think Cisco would listen to the debate. <laughs> Maybe he'd listen. Get really them quick. back into the teleporter now, now. and fix this. <laughs> That's right. Daddy's disappointed. Yeah, yeah, because it would be um, Quark would be taking bets on what the choice would be. Yeah, um, and like O'Brien would be O'Brien and Bashir would be highly offended by that. And Bashir would be like, I'm going back to my office. And O'Brien's like, and I have to go back to the promenade. And Bashir would leave and O'Brien would stop. Look at Quark. And Quark would say, don't worry, Chief. I've got you down. <laughs> um, I think the two that they'd have to split on Deep Space Nine, though, would be O'Brien and Garrick. Weird. It's a yeah, weird combination. It's a weird one. I know. I mean, they'd finally get what they wanted. They both want to sleep with they, Julian. They, they, yeah. Oh, let's say they both finally be inside each other, but I don't think that's how that merging works. No, and and it, that that would be Julian. Yes, Bashir. Right. I said O'Brien. I, I said O'Brien. And oh, Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, no, that's a Sophie's choice. Oh no, there. if Bashir uh, was mixed with Garrick. Maybe they wouldn't even let themselves be. They just go, no, we're good. <laughs> it's fine. Mm-hmm. I've got this. I can be a doctor and I can mend your dress. It's great. That'd be kind of funny. And now I just have conversations with myself because that's what all his I name becomes. Barrick? Because it's just Garrick. Well, it is just plain and simple Garrick. We don't have their. His name is Elam. Oh, fucking A, it is Elam. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god his name is elam garrick. elam garrick that's right i didn't know that yes i forgot as soon as you said i was like no it's elam right. <laughs> yeah um yeah that'd be fun on enterprise i don't know it would be julie uh, uh, julium 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 Julian, I tend to Julian. No, it needs to be weirder. That's why I went with Barrick. Yep. Uh, Julian Barrick. Uh, yeah, like there you go. to give him the full. Yeah. Uh, what about now? We're just doing this. What about and then we'll wrap. What about Enterprise? Who gets the merging? I I don't. I feel like. As written, I don't believe that you could merge any two of those characters to make them more interesting. No, <laughs> but the one that would be funny. Hold on. Would be to Paul. Wait, no, okay, I need to. Ahead. I need to. Yep. That statement relies on the premise that Tuvix was a more interesting character than anything. He wasn't. Thank no. you. He wasn't but as we annoying were told as he was. Tum- as, right. <laughs> he was told, oh, he does this. He does this. He's great. He's fantastic. He watches our kids. We love Tuvix. Great. He's a simp. <laughs> uh, I feel like the doctor on Enterprise would actually be very offended at the idea of splitting it apart because his species are all about genetic manipulation. They're like, yes, we've lost these two people, but now there's this new life form and we don't. I feel like he would be the one that would bug him. He'd have. I feel like he'd have the strongest argument. They're like, "This isn't right." Yeah, but or if you're gonna do it, can I at least get DNA samples first? They don't actually practice genetic manipulation. They did. That's why they weren't allowed in the Federation. The Nanobians are part of the Federation. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's right. Uh, I would just say for fun, because like what Cable said, that assumes that there are characters that are interesting. <laughs> um, it would be um, to Paul. Yes, and Porthos. <laughs> Just, just mean. I know. I'm not saying it would work. Um, DePaul is the uh, my one. Eh, she's not the one. Like Hoshi's in there too. Oh like, yeah, no, I loved Hoshi. The, Hoshi those great. two were like I could give a flying fuck about Michael Reed. No, oh, poor Michael Reed. I mean, he was great at his job. What about but Mayweather? His job is boring. Mayweather is also great at his job. He was never given an opportunity to be anything more mm. interesting. He's um, one of my bigger disappointments that entire series. Like yeah. the kid that grew up in space. Yeah. Knows where to go on a ship where there's no gravity. Yep. And then chill. they and then they did nothing with him. Yeah. It was like it, it was all about what sexy outfit can we put Jolene Blaylock in this week? It's like right. how about a Starfleet uniform? No, no, let's get back to Can the... we please put her in a Starfleet uniform? She's but wait, hear me out. We've cured most diseases, but the only way to fight infections is to grease each other down naked every time. All right. I'm going to leave us with one final TNG thought, which occurred to me yesterday and is still bothering me. The helm on the Enterprise. This does bother you a lot, but go ahead. Is on the left-hand side. Yeah. Left-hand side, navigators on the right. Mm -hmm. So just like a car, you drive a car, left-hand side. The Enterprise D... That station on the left is now operations or ops. Mm -hmm. And the helm is on the right side. Is that because they hired a British man to play the captain? (laughs) So that he wouldn't get too confused? Damn it. I just, I never thought about that before. (laughs) 
It's, I've been thinking about that since like seven o'clock last night. Pisses me off. Because after TNG, it went back, huh? Uh-huh. When it wasn't just a single peristyle. Yep. <sighs> okay. I, I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. I was going to be like, why does it even matter? Because they're not cars because- and... You know, it's not like being on the left side makes it easier to drive the ship. Uh, but but if you were British. I do love the idea that Picard cannot fly a ship that's left-hand drive. <laughs> I, I would, I am not a pilot, um, but I can guarantee you that if we have pilots listen to this, they will come up with reasons. If they're pilots and Star Trek fans, they'll go, no, you can feel it. You can feel the difference. Like there's got to be something about sitting in that chair at helm on the Enterprise and you know, you can feel it. You watch how the actors portrayed. It's like they move ever so slightly when they're on at that console. It's like you shouldn't. There's inertial dampeners. You can be upside down right now. No one knows. That's true. That's why in The Expanse, they're just, they're just big ugly boxes it doesn't fucking yeah. matter nope. Not, you don't even need a window no nope. i do love in the book series they even comment like humanity lost its sense of aesthetics when it realized it didn't need them for space mm-hmm. and they're like they kind of lament the loss of we used to build things that also looked kind of cool and now it's like that's a box with spiky bits <laughs> um, well it's like someone drew an art someone's done it before like video or art where they're like this is how it looks in star trek and you see them just facing off and then it's um yeah sorry um they're like how it would really look and like the enterprise d is like like this and the bird of prey is like this and mm-hmm. like they're just all in this general like that's what it would really look like in space i'm like don't do that it's like in star wars where they all fight like it's fucking world war ii battleships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're right we should wrap sounds good sounds good uh what are we doing next week Next week, we will have on writer, comic book writer and artist, Kel McDonald. I'm going to see if we can get some samples before we have her on, their, on them on. Them. Make sure on that, them, right? Uh, because they have a new Kickstarter coming out for the next volume of their series. Uh, so yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, I worked with them years ago on the, the Black Ops 4 comic. That's kind of how we, we first chatted and went through that. I'm glad that... that, that... Black Ops was followed by a comic because otherwise I was going to have a lot of questions. Mm, well, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. God, exactly. can you imagine, imagine comic creators on Black Ops, like real ones. No. Just speak, no. Like <laughs> nothing would get done. To the last Well, minute. how is that any different than anyway? To the last minute. That's when we were like, oh shit. Yeah. We better go kill this guy. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a really ineffective way to run things in that arena. It's Again, black I ops or a complex. I mean, they're both. They seem like they're both inefficient. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But the fate of the world may not hinge on the fact that I can't get off my ass and finish a page, right? Before going to work, mm-hmm. probably. But like, if like you know, Steve sits around for days before deciding to take the rifle and go do something that could have ramifications. <sighs> exactly. Uh, with that, thank you, Mika, for joining us. Uh, I'm Arun Duran. I'm Bean Rita. And I'm Gable Hashitani. We will talk to everybody next week. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.